as a church, we gather together as God's people, and we need to encourage each other. And so today, um, I'm going to do that, hopefully for you, uh, from God's Word. Uh, from We'll start with uh, Psalm 42, and we'll go from Psalm 42 to our main text of Scripture, and then you can keep your hand in uh, Matthew 11, which you see up here on the screen. Psalm 42 starts with, As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. There are three stanzas. I think Psalm 42 and 43 go together. There are three stanzas that they end with verse 5 of 42, verse 11 of 42, and then verse 5 of 43, and they are, they are the same verse. And when we are overwhelmed with life and our soul is cast down, we have to remember things. You see remembering throughout this psalm. And that's a good question that we ask ourselves, that the psalmist asks because the psalms are written for us that um, all the different emotions that we can have in life are mentioned in the psalms. And this uh, being discouraged and discouragement without any hope leads to depression or despair. And we can't keep going uh, this way, and actually we don't, we don't have to. We don't have to keep going on a path that leads to our own personal destruction and discouragement and despair. So what does the psalmist say in verse 5? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If you look at verse 11... Same thing, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The, some of the darkest psalms here have these rays of hope and light. And verse 5 of 43, planning to praise the Lord again, because he is our salvation and our God. As Jesus comes to earth in a discouraging time for most Jewish people, in a discouraging time for most righteous people, with the Pharisees dominating uh, the religious scene, with Rome dominating the political scene, there weren't elections in Bible times because there was a Caesar. There weren't elections because there were kings, and we saw from 2 Samuel 11 in Sunday school that sometimes those kings would take your wife and kill you even the best of kings. And so while we have enjoy uh, some freedom and enjoy elections to some degree or another, we don't nominate God or elect God. We don't choose who is the sovereign king of the universe forever and ever. He's already been chosen. He has already been chosen by the Father as the Son comes, and those are non-negotiables. Our job is clearly to know our God because of who Jesus is and what he has done. We cannot say that we don't know God. He is just so far out there. He's so far removed. We can't know him, and we just live in despair because we just, we just have to just put one foot in front of the other, try to survive, and this idea of, um, of thriving is something for someone else at another time in history, but it's not for me. But Jesus doesn't talk like that. And when we're struggling to understand life, 
What was the psalmist's solution in Psalm 42 and 43? Hope in God. I shall yet again praise him who is my salvation and my God. The solution is to know God. I can't know God for you. I can show you God here in, in a few minutes in our, in our time together this morning, but I can't go home with you and open the Bible for you and read the Bible to you and pray with you every day. I'm not, I can't do that with my own family. I can't do that for you either. But you can, if you can read, if you can listen to God's word, this is how we get out of this rut of despair, hopelessness, discouragement. Nothing's ever going to change. It's not getting better. It's just getting worse. And I'm just tired of living. Jesus says, come to me and rest. It's not physical rest, although physical rest is um, promise in heaven. Uh, while we're on earth, we're going to be working a lot. And uh, we're in a busy time of, um, of life for most of us. But Jesus says in verse 27, if you're with me now in Matthew 11, we're going to stay here and we'll put your bookmark there and we'll come back to it in our other two uh, preaching times. Verse 27 says, Jesus says this, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows um, the father except the son. I hear a lot of pages, sorry. Matthew 11, verse 27. Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus speaking here. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus comes to reveal the Father to us. And when you know the Father and when you know the Son, John 17 says, that is eternal life. When you and I have a relationship with the Father and the Son, that's when eternal life begins. If you're not sure about that, please talk to me before you go. And you will not have rest for your souls unless you have eternal life. Because there's no hope uh, apart from Christ and there's no uh, hope apart from uh, knowing him as your personal Lord and Savior. So verse 27 says, you, we can't know the Father except the Son, and we can't know the Son, only the Father knows the Son, but the Son chooses to reveal the Father to us, and that is the key to wanting to do what Jesus says here. I can't make you do what Jesus says here, neither does Jesus make anyone come to him. He, though, gives an invitation. And so what's the invitation in verse, in verse 28? Come to me. Why should we come to him? Because we want to know the Father. And if you know the Father, he, in the Old Testament, is our salvation and our God. And there's so much else that, that God is. But that's the summary of what God is. So Jesus' invitation is to come. So who's invited? All those who the Son chooses. So I don't know who is elect or chosen by God, but if you are convicted of sin, 
and righteousness and of judgment, it is likely that God is choosing and drawing you. So you need to turn from your sin and repent, as we heard in Sunday school, and trust Christ alone as your Savior. But this, I think, is primary to those who have been chosen, who are laboring and are heavy laden. What are those two words? If you have all those to whom the Son chose to reveal the Father, are believers, and here it is, those who are working really, really hard in life, and they just think it's not enough. As I get older, my physical strength is diminishing, and I realize I can't do it. I can't do it physically. I'm trying and trying and trying. I can't. I, there's not enough hours in the day to, to accomplish all the ministry that I want to accomplish. There's still people around me that are dying and going to hell. And I feel like it's partially my responsibility to share the gospel with them. There's so much of God's word that I want to share with you every week, and I can only share a little bit with you. And so much in life, so much I want to teach my children before they leave my home, and they're getting older faster than I can teach them. So much time I want to spend with my wife, and we're working, and I just don't have enough time to spend with her. And many of you, I'd love to spend much more time with you, and I just don't, we don't have the time. So we can get overwhelmed with life. Sometimes what is hard about life is our own sin. And this passage, actually, we looked up farther, Jesus has woe to unrepentant cities. So sin can cause us to work harder and make life harder. Whenever we disobey God, life gets harder. Whenever we are, as we talked about in Sunday school, whenever we worry about things that we shouldn't worry about, why? Because God is sovereign. He's in control. We don't have to worry. Anxiety is an attack against our sovereign God. But we worry, and we justify our worry with everyone, everyone else at church that worries too, so I'm not alone. Well, everybody else is sinning then, okay? So we can't justify our sin. And when we don't deal with trials as God wants us to deal with trials and our own sin, and then other people sin against us. If we have responsibilities at home and I neglect my responsibility at home, I make the rest of my family suffer. Their life is harder because I am not doing what I promised my wife I would do or what I should do for my children. I make life harder for them. If I lie to any of you, I make your life harder because you're going to have, eh, do I trust this guy? I don't know. And every time we sin against someone else, we make their life harder. And when enough people sin against you and you're living with sinners and you're interacting with sinners, life gets overwhelming really fast. So what do we do when life gets really overwhelming? We give up. That's not what Jesus says here. He says, come to me. All who are working really hard, and you look at what you're trying to accomplish, and it is, it is wearing you down because it's such a heavy load. And what does Jesus promise here? It's a beautiful promise. He will give you rest. Rest is one of those things, as a very tired college student, I look forward to, man, I just can't wait to get to heaven so I can sleep, because like, I am so tired. And if you're like that, where you've got young children and they're keeping you up at night, 
or you've got a lot, you worked a, a shift that's different than the rest of your family schedule, or you just haven't slept well because you're, you got a cough, or you just wake up tired and you're like, I got to go to work, and I do not even feel like getting out of bed. And life gets to hard, hard stuff that we have to do, and it makes it even harder whenever we have lack of sleep. But Jesus is not talking about physical rest here. He's talking about rest for our souls. Internally, here's what Jesus promises. I will give you rest. If your soul is overwhelmed like Psalm 42 and 43, if you are working really hard to relieve that burden of I've got to do more for God. I've got to fight sin harder. I just have to overcome this temptation or this. Or I have to help my friends who are ruining their lives with their sin. Jesus says, come to me. Come. It's an invitation. This Christmas, Thanksgiving, you're probably going to get invitations. You're going to decide sometimes they're conflicting. But let me encourage you. When YouTube says come, and your favorite television show says come, and your family or friends say come, and Jesus says come, listen to him first. You can't neglect this invitation. If you do, you won't have rest. You'll just keep working harder. You'll just keep getting overwhelmed. And life doesn't get easier if you reject this invitation. So we come and we're singing songs about uh, rest. This is what Jesus has promised. So the invitation is to come. We're going to sing now uh, day by day. And then Jesus, I am resting. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Inside, you're a mess because you're working so hard. And you're overwhelmed with how much I've heard a godly Christian once say to me, God promises us not more than what we can handle, but I think he's pushing it right now. (laughs) And this wasn't coming from someone who is a new believer and not understanding. This is someone who has walked with the Lord for years and years and years, and they get overwhelmed with life. When yesterday I got to uh, speak at uh, Barbara Masco, many of you didn't know her because uh, she hasn't been here at church probably for five years now and shut in, but we went to Christmas Carol to her last, uh, last December, and I had a picture of us outside of her house uh, caroling, and uh, so when you can't come to church anymore, we'll come to you, and uh, if you are in a nursing home, as she was near the end of her life, uh, several in our church went to her and encouraged her. And what encouraged her the most was God's word. It was who God is and what God promised her. And the promises that she enjoyed were from Romans 8 that I read yesterday at the funeral. And I'll uh, share that um, link with you so that you can listen to that uh, service from yesterday But what she was anxious and concerned about dying in a nursing home. And I said, you know, um, 
there's no guarantees in life that you will get out or you're going to get better. You're 94. But I can guarantee you that this life isn't the end. This is just the beginning. And it gets so much better. And Romans 8 tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Death, life, principalities, elections, politicians, communism, Marxism, terrorists, sickness, death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And if that doesn't cause you to rest, I don't know what it can. It doesn't get better than that. Here's, here's something that is better. That we have this truth of God and an invitation from Jesus. And the invitation continues to not just come to me and I'll give you rest, but come to me in verse 29. When you're close to Jesus, now he says, okay, this is how you do life. Put your head in here. And it was this picture, right? Of the yoke that we had seen a couple weeks ago with unequal yoke. But now another unequal yoke. Here is Jesus in one side of this yoke. And he says to all those that he has chosen, all those who are weary and are heavy laden and trying to go through life on their own and saying, I just can't, I just can't do it anymore. I'm ready to give up. And Jesus says, okay, you're in a good spot now that you're ready to give up. Give up on you. That's exactly opposite what the world's preaching to us right now, right? Like, learn you, know you, you do you. And Jesus is saying, stop doing you. Stop it. Doesn't work. It's causing you to be more heavy laden and working harder, and you're getting less done. And you're agitated. You're anxious. You're frustrated. You're confused. You're angry, irritable. You're not, you don't look like Christ. Why? Because you're not yoked to him. You're trying to do life without him. And when we have struggles in life, we have to say, did I take my head out of the yoke that Jesus promised? Am I trying to do life without him? And sometimes that's the case. It wasn't the case with Job, and life was hard for Job as he lost his 10 children and all of his wealth in a few hours. But Job wasn't willing to take his head out of that yoke. He says, no, this is, though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. I'm still going to do life with God. He is not the problem. Even though his wife said, curse God, like get your head out of there and do your own thing. And Job says, no, 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 not doing that. So Jesus says, hey, come to me. And when you come to me, I'll give you rest. And here's what I want to teach you. So here's what they would do in a yoke of oxen. They would put a seasoned ox with a young ox, and they would, they, the seasoned ox would plow straight, would listen to the master, wouldn't go uh, side to side, wouldn't be distracted, would just do exactly what uh, the master wanted, who was the farmer. And then there was the young, wild uh, ox that has his head in there too, and he's looking around, and he is sometimes getting drugged sideways, and he is, he's learning, though. He's learning to listen to the master. 
And when the master says, hey, stop, the old ox stops and he keeps going. Oh, nope, nope, come back. He's got to learn. So here's what we do in life. Verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is the best teacher. You're not going to get a better teacher in life than your Savior. It's not possible. So he says, hey, I want you to come to me and I'll give you rest. But you have to know me, okay? And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn how to do life with me. Well, and remember, this is in the context of if you know the Father, you, the Son and the Father know each other, and they're going to help us to know them. And the Son has chosen us. And as he chooses us, he's going to reveal God to us. This is how 2 Corinthians says that we are changed by the glory of God. As we see God's glory, we're changed by it. How do we live life seeing God's glory? So Jesus says, hey, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. You're trying to do life without me, okay? You're not supposed to do life without me because <laughs> I've saved you. I chose you. I want to reveal the Father to you. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you rest. But you've got to do life my way. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. So how do we learn? By joining closely with Christ to see how he did life. Now, if you were to look at just the Old Testament, you would have a lot of the character of God the Father and how he treated Israel and how he treated um, Ruth the Moabitess and how he treated Rahab the harlot when she turned to him and how he treated David when he was repentant and how he treated Saul when he wasn't repentant and, and how he uh, treated Israel when they uh, walked away from him and how he said, hey, return to me. And over and over again, we see how what we can learn about God. But here, Jesus says, here's what I want you to learn from me. As you put your head in here and we do life together, here's what you're going to learn. Here's what you're looking for, to learn from this perfect person who you're yoked with, you're doing life with. He's helping you pull the labor and he he's helping you pull that heavy load that's behind you. And you're working really hard and making very little progress or none. Here's what you do. You learn from Jesus. Are you willing to learn? You know, who don't, you know who doesn't learn? Proud people don't learn. Only, only humble people learn. Because proud people, I, I got a better way. I got a better way of doing life. If God would just do how, things how I want him to do, and we pray sometimes that way, probably in private, not <laughs> in the corporate prayer time, you're like, eh, I don't think you should pray that way. Uh, joining closely with Christ to see how he did life. What was motivating all of Jesus' decisions, his heart? And what is it about the heart of Jesus that's revealed here? Not his strength, not his power or sovereignty, although that is true. Because if you want someone to do life with you, you want someone who has wealth and education and, and a physical strength. But God in the Old Testament says, hey, don't boast in Jeremiah 9 in your power, your physical power. Don't boast in your wealth. Don't boast in your own wisdom or intellect. 
That's all human stuff. There's something better. Boast in this, that you understand and know me. And when we put our head with Jesus in trust and dependence, no matter how heavy your load is that God wants you to bear in life, no matter how overwhelming life can get, he doesn't promise you to do it by yourself. He promises you rest if you'll do it his way. And we join closely with Christ to see how he did life. And what will we expect to learn as we do life? And I'm reading in the middle of uh, the crucifixion story in my daily Bible reading this past week. And this is true. In the hardest time that Jesus had on earth, you still see this true of him. Why? Because this is his heart. These two aspects of Jesus' heart is revealed, and Jesus said, this is what you're going to learn. I am gentle, and I am lowly. Christ's heart and his ways are gentle and humble. See, the reason he does life better than anyone else can is because he is gentle and humble. He listened to the Father. He listened to the Father perfectly, and that's why he came. And he's showing us the Father. What other God of any other nation or any other time in human history has a God who is gentle and humble? There aren't any, because they're all false gods. The true and living God is gentle and humble. And when we do life his way, and when we trust him, our life will start looking like this gentle and humble. There are people that, despite their physical size, are called gentle giants. We admire those people that have a lot of physical strength, and yet they channel that, and they don't use their physical strength, and they are gentle. We look at people that have great wealth or great education, and they will talk to anyone. No one is below them, and we admire them. Why? Because they are humble. That was Jesus. He was gentle and humble despite being the God of the universe, having angels at his disposal, and in the future, a sword's going to come out of his mouth and kill billions of people at once. He's got that much power. But that's not what we're learning. We're not learning his power as we're doing life with him. We're learning his heart. And his heart is affecting our heart because we get agitated and overwhelmed and heavy laden, and we're, we're not resting inside. And we need to learn from him. And what does he say here? What will be the result? You'll find rest for your souls. You want rest in your soul? There's one way. All Christians who God has chosen, this is the best life. Absolute best. Keep learning how to be gentle and humble. When we get overwhelmed, we're probably pulling all the load that God doesn't want us to pull by ourselves. We're trying to do it ourselves. And we're not gentle and humble. Whatever the opposite of these two words is, that's what our life looks like. We're chaotic. We're not gentle. We're harsh. We're going to get this done. Everybody get in line. And we're doing it my way. No rest there. Just more work more heavy laden and you wonder why life is so frustrating and jesus says 
come to me. I'll teach you. Thank you for singing today. Singing is one of those things that when you are heavy laden and laboring, often is the first thing to go. And if you can't sing, turn on godly music that will help you sing or listen to other people sing. Uh, songs like this that will help us to rest and trust and obey. Our final section is uh, from verse 30. Why should we do this? Why should we put our head in a yoke with Jesus? Why should we come to him when we're he laboring and heavy laden? Why should we not try to do our own way? Because your way is hard and your burden is heavy. And the more you try to do life without God, you'll find that to be the case. And what does Jesus tell us in verse 30? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a comparison here. How is, what's this guarantee? We already have two guarantees that I will give you rest and you will find rest. And now the final guarantee is my way of doing life is easier. It's unfortunate that many Christians try for 10, 20, 50 years to try to do life apart from this way of doing it. They think they know better than God. They're thankful for their salvation, but they just, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm on my way to heaven, but yeah. Learning from Jesus? No. I, I got it. I got this. The sooner you and I realize that you don't got this, you don't have it. God didn't save you so that he could let you go live life without him. He saved you to have a relationship with him. And this relationship is a close to him relationship. It is a learning relationship. And the more we believe Jesus, the more we will not believe our deceitful hearts. And we have, as believers... We can be slaves of our Savior, slaves of him as Lord. And this is an easier way of doing life. It is never, Jesus' way is never harder, and it's never heavier than your way. Satan's going to lie to you, the world's going to lie to you, and your flesh is going to lie to you that your way, the world's way, and, and Satan's way is, is easier and, and lighter, and that is never the case. Why? Because God controls everything. Why is it easier? It's an easier way of doing life because we learn to gently and humbly rely on our sovereign Savior. I don't know if you were like me this week, but I kept checking for election results over and over and over and over and over again. And I have to remind myself of God's truth, good theology, what I know to be true about God whenever 
the election or pro-abortion things in different states didn't get uh, or they passed and abortion is now stronger and ah uh, frustrating we have to learn to gently and humbly rely on our sovereign savior imagine yourself in roman empire where you've got stephen who has just been martyred and jesus says to you as a fearful church in jerusalem hey come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and i'll give you rest it's true for them it's true in the middle ages and in times when Christians like William Tyndale were running for his life because he's trying to translate scripture into the common person's language. And if you did that study on someone who is giving their life for the Savior, I, I found a missionary who says, don't, don't say that I'm sacrificing because it's not a sacrifice for me to go in another country and be uncomfortable. It's not a sacrifice because this person is yoked with Jesus and she's learning Jesus' heart and she's saying, no matter what, and her, she had some difficult physical struggles on the mission field, difficult cultural issues on the mission field, difficult um, um, health uh, things for her family, I believe. Life wasn't easy. Finances were probably always tight but she's learning to gently and humbly rely on her Savior. So she says, don't feel bad for me when I'm in this country and my hair is falling out because of the, the water and the heat and we have to eat things that eh, aren't great and these are our living conditions and this is what our culture's like and elections are all just so corrupt if they even have elections there. Don't feel bad for me though. I'm doing exactly what God designed me to do, what I want to do. How can someone say that? And we read biographies and we read in church history of people that have laid down their life for the Savior. And you watch Stephen in, Ma or in Acts 7 pass away. Watch him fall asleep and you will find that as he falls asleep, he is falling asleep in a gentle, humble way. Why? Because he has learned. He's come to Jesus. He spoke for Jesus. Jesus did not forsake him in his hardest hour when stones were hitting Stephen's body. It was the best life for Stephen. And he's in heaven and he wouldn't change a thing. When we get to our end of our life, if we have joyfully, submissively been yoked to our Savior, and the world says, what a wasted life that was. Man, you could have gone so much farther. You could have achieved so much more. You could have changed, influenced so many other lives for, for what? Or we could lay up treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust doth corrupt and where thieves can't break through and steal. How much treasure in, is in heaven because you're yoked joyfully to your Savior? That's where you'll find rest as you learn to gently and humbly rely, trust on your sovereign Savior. And then 
How do we know it's easier or it's later? How do you know? How do you know Jesus isn't lying? And as soon as I say that, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody knows Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus always tells the truth. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He knows what's the good life. He has watched humankind from, the, from Adam and Eve till this time, 4,000 years at least, try to do life without him and a few that have done what he told and, and he, could, he could testify and he probably is here for us. Hey, everybody who has walked with God this way, think of Daniel, um, um, Joshua or Moses or other godly people, uh, Ruth in the Old Testament. When they live like this way, their life was easier and their burden was lighter. When Job, at the end of his story, repents in dust and ashes and doesn't blame God for anything that God took from him, he found that now the burden's lighter. Now it's easier. This is an easier way to do life. And you and I will find, as we come to Jesus, as we take his yoke upon us, as we learn from him, that his gentleness and his humility is going to start rubbing off on you. You're go it's going to affect your heart. You're going to look at life differently and say, you know what? I don't understand why Jesus is pulling me this direction. <laughs> why do I have to carry this load? But yet I find whenever I'm weak and the cart keeps going, it's the, <laughs> it's the person I'm yoked to who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is giving me the strength, and I cannot guarantee you in your marriage that everything's going to be great, that, that you're going to have the perfect marriage. If both you and your spouse do this, then you'll have a great marriage. But if one of you does this and the other doesn't, then one side of that marriage is going to be restful and gentle and lowly, and the other side might be chaos, confusion, and frustration. This is independent of other people. This is you and your Savior. This is your position. This is your personal invitation as a Christian. Since God chose you, he says, hey, there's a room. There's a room right next to my son, and it has a yoke with your name on it, custom made to fit you and your life, your problems. Hook, put your head in there. Hook all, all of your burdens in the back, all of them. Nothing, Jesus can handle them all. So how do we know it's easier and lighter? Because of who promises and who works with us. Jesus really is. Now, when you and I look at the pages of Scripture, we think, I'm not seeing a lot of power in the Gospels. Okay, you, it might be hidden like the, the, the uh, disciples a few times when they got to see Jesus full power, like when he calms the storm and all of the waves just instantly fall down. The disciples are like, whoa, whoa, they're backing away. They're, this, this is not, this is not anything like we expected. If you were there at the tomb with Lazarus when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, 
And all of us would be there like, okay, this, that, nobody can do that. When a guy who was born blind can now see, nobody can do that. When he goes to the cross, he takes your sin and my sin on him. And he cries out at the end of that sacrifice, paid in full. Nobody else can do that. And three days later, when he rises again, nobody else can do that. Here is the power of our God in the person of Jesus Christ. And his power is not on clear display in this text of Scripture. It's his gentleness and lowliness. But when you and I put our heads in this yoke, we have not we have an unequal yoke, guaranteed. But it's good. It's good for us to be in that yoke. Because when we can't do it, he just keeps going. And we, re- <laughs> we realize I, so many times in life, I can't do it. I cannot respond like God wants me to respond. I cannot parent like God wants me to parent. I cannot love my wife as Christ loved the church. I cannot respond in gentleness and lowliness when an election doesn't go my way or a game doesn't go my way that I'm on the sidelines cheering for. I've got to learn. It's an easier way of doing life. And you watch someone who has lived their life this way. They are a gentle and humble person. They accept responsibility. They change their schedule for anyone because their schedule is not about them. They're yoked to Jesus. And if Jesus wants them to have a child that's up in the middle of the night, then they get up in the middle of the night. If Jesus wants them to say no to some other things so that they can say yes to something at church or something in their family, yeah, that's great. They're flexible. They're humble. Day by day, how do we live this way? By prayer. You will not learn to be gentle and holy until you learn to get serious about praying. One of the songs that we sang talked about an hour in prayer. How many of us have an hour for praying in your schedule? But you have an hour for YouTube, easy. An hour for video games, an hour for shows, an hour for sports this afternoon. We don't have an hour for praying. We can't learn. Jesus invites us to come and we say, no, you know what? I got this. I think I need to be entertained more than I need to learn. We need to pray. We also need to know God. You need to know him in, your, in the word, personally, privately. As much time as you can spend learning and knowing God, you will see a gentle, humble God in the Old Testament and a gentle, humble God in the New Testament. You'll see him. And you say, God, change me to be like this. Help me not to take my head out of this yoke that you want me to join with you and do life without you. Do life on my own.
So I pray and rely on my Savior, and I learn, learn to know him, and here's what you'll find. You will find rest for your souls. You will. I guarantee you. The news will not have that much sway on you. Social media will not have that much sway on you. All the other idols of this world, eh, they won't have that much sway on you because your Savior's given you rest and you're learning him and you're growing with him and you're trusting him. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for this passage of Scripture.